Alright, well it is good to be with you and I would covet your prayers even as I speak. Um, I have been uh, trying to get over a cold for the last about week and a half. I don't really have any other symptoms other than this nagging cough. And so it's just to the point where it's more annoying than anything else. But uh, just pray for me as I speak that God will allow me to come through clearly. And more importantly, that His Holy Spirit will be able to have free course this morning. I just want to direct us back before we get into our main text, which is uh, Genesis chapter 14 this morning. But before we go there, I want to look again at Hebrews chapter 11. Now there's a lot in Abram, Abraham's life. I'm not sure if I'm going to continue to go chapter by chapter through the whole story. But on the other hand, there is a lot, and so it would be kind of, it would kind of behoove us to continue to dig in. But in Hebrews 11, chapter 8 and 9, it says, By faith Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed. And he went out not knowing whither he went. By faith he sojourned in the land of promise, as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles, with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city which had foundations, whose builder and maker is God. And I tacked on verse 10 there. Um, but you'll remember that Jesus said of Abraham, Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and was glad. And of course, the remainder of that passage goes on to have Jesus making a declaration that before Abraham was, I am. Thus, making no doubt about the fact that Jesus claimed to be the eternal God. But today, we're going to look at a passage in Genesis chapter 14. And... Uh, I'm just going to, as a little bit of background, I'm going to read a verse out of Genesis chapter 13. Um, because sometimes, when we look back and forward of our passage, we get a good idea of what it is talking about, and that is called context. It's very important, as we study the Word of God, that we get it in context. And so, as we look back at Genesis chapter 13... That is what we are endeavoring to do. And uh, in Genesis chapter 13, of course, we talked about this last time. The servants of Lot and the servants of Abram had this dispute because there wasn't enough land for them to dwell together. And, uh, and here is what it says in verse 10 of chapter 13 of Genesis. And Lot lifted up his eyes, and behold, all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord, destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, even as the garden of the Lord, like unto the land of Egypt, as thou cometh to Zoar. Then Lot chose him all the plain of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east, and they separated themselves one, the one from the other. Abram dwelled in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelled in the cities of the plain, and pitched his tent Toward Sodom. And as we start to read Genesis chapter 14, 
there is a battle that ensues, and I didn't find a lot of information about the battle specifically. Maybe I was just looking into the the wrong places, but the, the first part, I've titled my message today, Abraham Rescues Lot and Receives a Blessing. But this first part, the first 12 verses, is about the war, and we see the result. So let's just read that together. And it came to pass in the days of Aramel, king of Shinar, and Arioch the king, Arioch the king of Elzar, Chandlan Omar of Elam, and Tidal king of nations, that these made war with Bera, king of Sodom, and with Bersha, king of Gomorrah, Shanev, king of Amiah, and Shalmanar, king of Zobalim, and the king of Bela, which is Zoar. And all these joined together in the vale of Sidon, which is in the salt sea. Twelve years they served Salomar, and in the thirteenth year they rebelled. And in the fourteenth year, Salomar and the kings which were with them, oh, in the fourteenth year came Salomar and the kings which were with them, and smote the Rephalims and Ashroth Kiram and the Zuzims in Ham and the Emons in Shaviah Karathaim and the Horites in their Mount Seir unto Ephraim which is by the wilderness and they returned and came unto Emeshpeth which is Kadesh and smote all the country of the Amalekites and also the Amorites that dwelt in Hazan Tamar and they went unto the king, and there went unto the king of Sodom, and the king of Gomorrah, and the king of Edomah, and the king of Zedalom, and the king of Belium, the same as Zoar. And they joined battle with them unto the vale of Idiom. When see the king of Iliam, and with title the king of nations, and with the Ramaphel of Shinar, and Ariok the king of Eleazar, four kings with five. And the vale of Sidon was full of slime pits, and the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled and fell there, and there they remained, fled in the mountains. And they took all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah and their victuals and went their way. And they took Lot, Abram's brother's son, who dwelt in Sodom, and his goods, and departed. Now, just as an aside, I'm glad these guys, most of them are bad guys, because nobody gets it in their mind to name their children these names. Um, because I can't pronounce them to save my life. But that's um, neither here nor there. But I want to um, look at this verse 12 very closely. Because it says something very significant. It says, And they took Lot, Abram's brother's son, who dwelt in Sodom and his goods, and departed. Now you notice in verse in chapter 13, it says that Lot pitched his tent toward Sodom. And I looked up these verses in the Strongest Concordance this morning, um, and I found that these two words about being pitched toward Sodom and dwelling in Sodom are actually two different words, kind of denoting a progression that Lot started out on the outside of Sodom and before long... He was in Sodom. And it kind of reminds me of Psalm chapter 1, where the psalmist says, Blessed is the man 
who walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, who standeth not in the way of sinners, or who sitteth not in the seat of the scornful. And in that, we see the progression of how evil company can corrupt good manners, as Paul says. And this is the situation of Lot. When, they, when Lot was deciding where to go, Abram gave him the first choice, and Lot was greedy. So he looked, and he found the best place to go, and he went there. Now, we've already heard that Abram was promised that all this land was his, and that eventually he would possess it. And Abram's trusting in God, so he gives Lot the choice, and Lot goes and pitches his tent toward Sodom. And then when we come into this battle situation, Lot is in Sodom. And so when Sodom is under attack, Lot is captured. And I, and I think maybe God is trying to get Lot's attention here. Because Lot is captured, he's carried away, and he's a prisoner of war. And I wonder what Lot was thinking at this point. I wonder what we're thinking when we become prisoners of our own sin. I don't know about you, but often in my life, sin has led to more sin. Specifically as a child, I remember if you lied, you generally had to keep lying in order to cover up the first lie. And I heard somebody say, and my parents have reflected it in different words, but somebody once said that you should always tell the truth because if you tell the truth, you never have to remember the story you told. Because the truth is the truth always. And so, for many of us, although we've never been physically prisoners of war, we know what it's like to be a prisoner of our sin. We also know that Jesus will chasten us because he wants us to be in a right relationship with him. And as we reflect on this, I wonder if we might look at, by way of cross-reference, Revelation chapter 3, verse 19. If somebody could find that for me and read it, I would appreciate it. This verse is telling us that if Jesus loves you, if you have a personal relationship with the God of the universe, you will not be able to continue in a sinful lifestyle. Because God will rebuke you. He will chasten you. I know that that's one of the things that... One of the things that I have seen as a major mark of my spiritual growth is that when I'm not right with God, I can't be at peace. And so we need to have the same things going on in our life. That if, if we're not right with God, He will chasten us and we will respond 
to that chastening. And so, um, we will find out in this next section that Abraham, Abram finds out about Lot's situation and he goes to handle it, to make it right. Let's look at Genesis 14, verse 13. Genesis 14, 13. And there came one that had escaped and told Abram the Hebrew, for he dwelt in the plain of Mamre, the Amorite brother of Eschol and brother of Amnar, and those who those were confederate with Abram. And when Abram heard that his brother was taken captive, he armed his trained servants, born in his own house, 318, and pursued them unto Dan. And he divided himself against them, he and his servants by night, and smote them and pursued them unto Heboth, which is on the left hand of Damascus. And he brought back all the goods, and also brought back again his brother Lot and his goods, and the woman also, and the people. So Abram goes and stages an attack by night. He had 300 trained servants who were ready for battle. Now, this is the first time we hear of Abram being in any kind of battle. But we know that he was prepared. And that his servants were trained for battle. And he goes and he takes Lot and he brings him back. Now you would think that this would tell Lot, I need to get out of Sodom, I need to be away from Sodom. But we will find out later that Lot in fact does go back and stays there until Sodom and Gomorrah are destroyed. And it would be tempting for us to say, well, Lot was just a carnal, unbelieving man. But we read in the New Testament that Jesus himself refers to Lot as righteous Lot. So we know that Lot is an example to us of how even a true believer can struggle in his relationship with God. But see, remember when we talked about how Lot pitched his tent toward Sodom? That was the first step into a descent whereby he would end up in Sodom. And I think there seems to be some indication that he might have even become to some prominence as a sort of city official um, in the city of Sodom because people knew him and they paid attention to what went on and they went to his house when they found out that he had um, those visitors, which were angels. And uh, we may get into that story later. But the point is, he became absorbed in Sodom. And, uh, but Abram goes and he rescues him from this situation. And that to me is much like what God calls us to do when we are sharing the gospel with others.
Every one of us, without the power of God, is like Lot, captured by a, a foreign enemy and a prisoner of war. The Bible says in Ephesians that we were dead in trespasses and sins. But because of Jesus' blood and his gift on the cross, we were made alive through Jesus Christ. And that we which were once far off were brought near by his blood. And that everything that we'd done wrong was nailed to the cross so that we could live for Christ. Um, I have a cross-reference for this section as well, but before I get to that, well, I want to read a, a little story in, in keeping with these thoughts about redemption. And it says, A story told by Paul Lee Tan illustrates the meaning of redemption. He said that when A.J. Gordon was a pastor of a church in Boston, he met a young, young boy in front of the sanctuary carrying a rusty cage in which several birds fluttered nervously. Gordon inquired, Son, where did you get these birds? The boy replied, I trapped them out in the field. What are you going to do with them? I'm going to play with them, and then I guess I'll feed them to an old cat we have at home. When Gordon offered to buy them, the lad exclaimed, Mister, you don't want them. They're just old, little old wild birds and can't sing very well. Gordon replied, I'll give you two dollars for the cage and the birds. Okay, it's a deal, but you're making a bad bargain. The exchange was made, and the boy went away whistling, happy with his shiny coins. Gordon walked around the back of the church property, opened the door of the small wire coop, and led the struggling creature led the struggling creatures soar into the blue. The next Sunday he took the empty cage into the pulpit and used it to illustrate his servant about Christ's coming to seek and to save the lost, paying for them with his own precious blood. The boy told me the birds were not songsters, said Gordon, but when I released them and they winged their way heavenward, it seemed to me they were singing, Redeemed, Redeemed, Redeemed. You and I have been held captive to sin, but Christ has purchased our pardon and set us at liberty. When a person has this life-changing experience, he will want to sing, Redeemed, Redeemed, Redeemed. And that was from Our Daily Bread. And so, could somebody look up um, Proverbs 24, 11, and 12? Okay, so we are we are given a command in the Proverbs to deliver others. Now, of course, and, and then it's carried over into the New Testament in such passages as Galatians chapter 6, where it says, You who are spiritual, 
Restore those who are overtaken in a fall. In a spirit of love and meekness. Not in a spirit of superiority that says, I am better than you. But in a spirit that says, I know where you are. And I've been there. And I can help you get back in a right fellowship with God. Because I love you as a brother. And it would be easy for Abram to have said, Lot made his choice. I gave him a choice and he made it. Remember I said a while back, I wasn't even sure if, if Abram should have brought Lot on this expedition because God said, get away from your country and from your kindred onto a land in which I will show you. And then he brings his nephew along. But regardless of whether he should have or not, Lot causes him no end of trouble. And the trouble is not over. So Abraham comes and he gets this great victory. And it's really a lesson to us that we need to be available to be used by God to bring others to himself As well as back to himself. That's one thing. When I was working at the mission, it was really difficult sometimes to talk to people that had been addicted to drugs or alcohol and talk to them about the hope that Christ gives and how he can deliver them from that. I could speak to that because it's true. But I couldn't speak to it the same way that a recovering alcoholic and a recovering drug user could. Because the recovering drug user had the fact that he was delivered from the very thing that this person was held in bondage to. Now I've had my struggles with certain areas of my life that I can speak to with experience. But it's important that we realize that the, the past experiences that we have, both good and bad, God can use to form our future and to give us hope. And not only hope for us, but hope for others as well. And so, and then, and so that was the second point. Abraham goes and rescues Lot. And then this third point, Abram gets a blessing and credits God for his success. Genesis 14, verse 17 now. And the king of Sodom went out to meet him after his return from the slaughter of sea, and of the kings that were with him at the valley of Shevelah, which is the king's dale. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine, and he was the priest of the Most High God. And he said, Blessed, and he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abraham of the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be the Most High God, which hath delivered thine enemy Which have delivered thine enemy into thy hand. 
And he gave him tithes of all. And the king of Sodom said unto Abram, Give me the possession, and take the goods to thyself. And Abraham said to the king of Sodom, I, will, I have lift up my hand unto the Lord, the Most High God, the possessor of heaven and earth, that I will not take from a thread, even to a shoe latchet, and that I will not take anything that is thine, lest thou shouldest say, I have made Abram rich. Save only that which the young men have eaten, and the portion of the men which with me, which went with me, Asher, Eshcol, and Mamre, let them take their portion. So the king of Sodom comes out to Abram because Abram rescued Lot and the goods that those that had pillaged Sodom had taken. And he and then as he's coming, Melchizedek, the king of Salem, comes and has a time of worship with Abraham. Now, some people say that this was Jesus Christ. I, um, after thinking about it and praying about it and studying about it, I don't think he was because he's given a very specific name here. But it's very obvious that he pointed toward Christ. And it is interesting that he brings forth bread and wine. It's, it's worth noting that in the Jewish culture, anytime you ate with someone, it was considered it was considered a covenant. And so, whatever the overall significance is, there is something very special occurring here. But it says here, And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine, and he was the priest of the Most High God. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be the Most High God, which had delivered thy enemies into thy hand. And he gave him tithes of all. And the king of Sodom said unto Abraham, Give me thy persons, and take thy goods to thyself. The goods to thyself. And Abram said, and, Okay, so let's just look for a second at this exchange between Melchizedek and Abraham. Melchizedek blesses Abraham and points to God who gave Abram the victory. God allowed Abram to get the victory. Why? Because Abram was already focused on God. He had turned his back on Sodom. He was staying out of Sodom. The only reason he went into Sodom or those areas was because he wanted to rescue his nephew Lot. And this is a good lesson for us. 
We cannot rescue people from somewhere that we are also in bondage. This is the significance of Luke chapter 7, or Matthew chapter 7, because one of the most popularly misquoted verses in all of Scripture is what? Matthew chapter 7 verse 1, Judge not that ye be not judged. And taken as a singular verse, it may be very easy to say we should not ever say anything against what anybody else does, and we should just live our own life and not ever preach truth or not ever believe in absolute truth. But it doesn't stop there. It talks about the need to share the truth with others. But to get on on a right place with the truth in our own lives so that we can impart from what we've learned. We can't impart something that we haven't learned ourselves. But when we learn the lessons that we need to learn, that equips us to teach others. And I'll tell you right now that as a, as a minister of the gospel and as someone who is able to uh, put out content pointing to Christ, it's very humbling to be able to be in that position, but it's also convicting. Because I know that I'm not perfect. If you just ask my family, they will be glad to tell you. And if you really wanted to know all the details, you would be here for the rest of the day and beyond. But the point being, that God has taught me many valuable lessons in life, and that He has put me in a position to be able to share it with others. And so I'm glad that I have gone through what I have. And so Abram shares this rich time of worship with Melchizedek. And he's focused on God and he's realizing that God gave him a victory that was big that was great. And this allows him to be prepared for this offer of the king of Sodom. In verse 21. It says, And the king of Sodom said unto Abram, Give me the persons and take the goods to thyself. And Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have lift up mine hand unto the Lord, the Most High God, the Possessor of heaven and earth, that I would not take from a thread to a, even to a shoe latchet, and that I will not take anything that is thine, lest thou shouldest say, I have made Abraham, Abram rich. Save only that which the young men have eaten, and the portion of the men who went with me, and then the list is there, which I will not torture you by trying to read again. But he says, let them take their portion, whatever they needed. We'll take that much. And this shows a couple things. Number one, he cared more about the men that were with him than himself. And number two, he realized that God had given a victory, and so for him to take credit for it, to take bounty for it, was wrong. Because without God, Abram surely would have been swallowed up and killed. 
Kind of reminds me of a couple other Bible stories. One being the story of Gideon when he starts out with 30,000 men. And God says that's too many. And he whittles it all the way down to 300. Why? Because he said if you went with any more than that, you'd say by our might we have gained the victory. But when those 300 men broke their pitchers and said the sword of the Lord and of Gideon and saw those Midianites killing themselves and running for their lives, the only thing they could do was say praise be to the Lord. And we know even at that, that Gideon, when he got away from God, got a little full of himself as his life went on. Point being that the power is in the Lord. And let's look at one other example of this in 2 Kings chapter 5, verses 14 to 16. 2 Kings chapter 5, verses 14 to 16. If somebody gets that and they can read it, that would be great. Yes. Then went he down and dipped himself seven times into the Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God. And his flesh came again, like unto the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. And he returned to the man of God, he and all of his company, and came and stood before him and said, Behold, now I know that there is no God in all the earth, but in Israel. Now therefore, I pray thee, take the blessing of thy servant. Alright, and it goes on to say that he says, no, I will not take anything. And why? Because once again, it was God who did the work. Remember, the servant of God, the prophet of God, did not even come out to Naaman to give him the task. It was the assistant. It was Gehazi who comes out and says, do this. And it wasn't until Naaman got over his anger and consented to do it that he was healed. And so Elijah is showing us, once again, this idea of not taking credit for what God alone had done. And uh, it is so important that we don't take credit for what God does. That we give Him the glory. He says, I will not share my glory with any other. So, my challenge to you today is that God is the one who gives all good things. And maybe today you have not experienced what it is to have a personal relationship with God such as Abram had. Now we're going to see as we continue on, Lord willing, in the life of Abram that he still had a lot of lessons to learn. But we're also going to see a man who was humble and who allowed God 
to work and took God at His work, at His word. And as we'll study next time, Abram, Abram believed God. And it was accounted to him for righteousness. And we have the same ability today to believe God. If you're anything like me, there have been times in your life when you kind of took the approach, let's see how close I can get to the world without actually going over. But we saw from this example of Lot how easy it is to start out by dipping your toe in and end up fully immersed, not able to get out. And we'll find that even after he's rescued by his uncle Abram, he's going to end up back there until everything that he has is destroyed. And there will be continued trials for him. But we know that ultimately we will see Lot one day. Because Jesus called him righteous Lot. It's a lesson for us on being too quick to judge. Because only God knows who is truly righteous. Yes, we should speak the truth. But we should speak the truth in love. With a goal of bringing our brothers and sisters closer to God. And with a goal of bringing those who are lost into the fold. As we talked about in the remembrance meeting, Jesus gave us everything he could. He laid down his life for us and rose again the third day so that he could be done with sin. So that we could be done with sin. So that we could have a relationship with Him so that He could pull us out of our sin and give us a new life. My encouragement to you is if you know Him then continue to follow hard after Him. Be with people who follow hard after Him. Turn away from Sodom. Turn to the truth. And be with people who are also turned to the truth. Because the people that you are with will influence the person you become. This happened in Lot's life. We don't read about a lot of confidants for Abram. So you may find that you're going it alone. Even Abram's wife gave him some really, really bad advice. But are you willing to go it alone in the name of Jesus Christ? It's a question I need to ask myself every day. I urge you to ask the same question. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these stories in Hebrews 11.
We thank you for the best Hall of Fame. there ever was. We thank you for using broken people and the encouragement that gives to us that you can use us as well. In Jesus' name, amen.